Amen. What an amazing testimony and beautiful opportunity to hear about what God's doing all over the world. I just find it so interesting that this church loves fellowship so much that not even a blasting loud video can break the fellowship between each other. Um, I hope that you were able to pick up uh, the video a little bit about it. You know, we're part of this worldwide family. The, the, the P church is not it. The God has been moving throughout history, throughout the world, bringing people into His family. And every now and then we get to see the amazing things and hear the news from our amazing brothers and sisters who are fully devoted to the mission of God. So I hope that that encouraged you. I hope that you were able to catch a glimpse of it. Sometimes we think that uh, in the European uh, mission field, things are not happening because people are so resistant and they feel like Christianity is something from the past. But God is bigger than that. So much bigger than that. And He's moving and He's working and people are getting saved. People are coming into the knowledge of God and they are surrendering to Him as King. And isn't that what the book of Acts is all about? Isn't that what we've been learning for over a year now? That God's mission is unstoppable. That no matter what the enemy throws, God will still win. Because the major victory happened already at the cross when Jesus was enthroned and He took all authority defeated our final enemy, death, and gave us the opportunity to be part of a new humanity. We've been doing this series over the book of Acts, and last week we had this amazing, special, beautiful, incredibly talented group of young men and women share their hearts with us. I'm not being biased at all. (laughs) This is just fact. Um, But today we're going to go back to the book of Acts and we're going to go back to Acts chapter 16. And I just want to remind you of what we did last uh, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, Uncle Jason and Dean were sharing with us such powerful convictions about how God is in charge of His mission and the Spirit is the one who controls everything, puts up together teams to move forward so that the mission of God continuously being established, kind of like what we saw in the video, mission teams get put together by the Holy Spirit so that more and more people will know about the gospel. And today we're going to see a little bit more about what God has been doing through this mission teams that God has put together. So before we read the scripture, let's go to God in prayer. Uh, King Jesus, we love you so much and we're incredibly grateful for the amazing love and generosity and kindness and compassion and mercy that you show us every single day. I, I am so in awe of how good you are. Even, even when we're faithless, you are faithful, God. You are so good to us. You're so loving. You're so powerful. And, and I cannot thank you enough for that. Thank you so much this morning for the opportunity that we got to worship you together as family. Thank you so much for this beautiful family that that I get to be part of, that I see and it's just it encourages my heart and my soul just to be together, singing with them, praying with them, being in awe of you and your word and being inspired to see you do even greater things um, in our lives. 
Thank you so, so much. I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you will please fill our hearts t- today, fill our, our minds and, and, and open our ears so that your message will be heard loud and clear. That as we open up your word, you will be speaking directly to us. And I pray that the vessels and instruments you use to speak will be just vessels. That's it, God. That you will take us out of the way and that you will speak, God, through your, through the worship, through the prayers, through your word, that you will just move in our hearts and speak to us this morning. We want to hear you today. We want to honor you. We want to worship you. Please help us to gain the conviction that we see our brothers and sisters all around the world, that we see in in the brothers and sisters in the book of Acts who are just so, so sold out for you and your mission. May we be this committed to you, King Jesus, this surrendered, this devoted. Nothing, nothing will get in the way. Thank you so much once again for the beautiful opportunity and the beautiful gift that it is to know you because knowing you is eternal life. And that's what we're here to experience. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 16. We're going to start reading from verse 11. Uh, So we put out to sea from Troas and made a straight course to Samthras. The next day onto Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia as well as a Roman colony. We stayed in this city for several days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the river where we expected a place of prayer to be. We sat down and began speaking with a woman who had gathered, a woman named Lydia, a seller of purple cloth from the city of Tiatira, a God-fearer, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. When she was immersed along with her household, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she insisted. It so happened that as we were going to prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination, who was bringing her masters much profit from her fortune telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept shouting, saying, These men are servants of God Most High, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days, but Paul was irritated and turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Messiah Jesus to come out of her. And it came out of her at that very moment. But when her master saw that the hope of profit was gone, they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they brought them to the chief authorities, they said, These men are throwing our city into an uproar. Being Jewish, they advocate customs which are not permitted for us to accept or practice, being Romans. Then the crowd joined in the attack on them, so the chief authorities ripped their clothes off and commanded them to be beaten with rods. After inflicting many blows on them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to guard them securely. Having received this charge, he threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Amen. What an interesting story, don't you think? A tale of two women, two completely different women with two completely different interactions with the same people and the same message. It's so interesting to me that 
Luke is, is, is writing the story, and if you notice, he starts saying we, because probably he's part of this mission team with Paul and Silas and Timothy. They're moving on together, and he's like, we go from this place to this place to this place. But for some reason, he chooses to slow down the story there at Philippi. Like he's blasting through all these places. It's not like they were there for one second and then the next second they were in a different place. That's how we read it. But it took time. It was a journey. It took days and weeks. Who knows? But when they get to Philippi, Luke chooses to slow down the story and give us a little bit of a glimpse and insight into what's happening. And then he chooses to narrate the story of two women. Lydia, on the one hand, and then this girl with the spirit of divination on the other hand. I don't think it's a coincidence that Luke in his great writing and the way that he's portraying the story, he wants us to see this story together. It's not like one story and then the other one. It's one main story with two characters. And one of them has a response to the gospel and the other one is a completely different response. It's like almost like Paul, Paul, Luke is telling us on the both sides of the spectrum what can happen when the gospel is proclaimed. Am I making sense? I hope I'm making sense in this. And, and what is interesting to me as we get to see Lydia is that these men, Paul and Silas, they, they kept doing what they usually do. They go to this new city and the first thing that they want to do is go and preach the gospel. But they look for a place where people are wanting to hear the word of God. And usually that is the synagogue. But but Philippi, being a, a Roman colony, seems to be so part of the Roman culture that there's no synagogue. Maybe there isn't a lot of Jews in that province. Maybe it's just not allowed to have a synagogue in that place because it's such a privileged Roman city. Whatever the case is, they don't have a synagogue, so Paul and Silas have to change their kind of method, and they go and look for a place where people gather and pray. And that's by the river. And when they get to this river and they find these women, maybe men as well, praying, Paul starts just sharing the message. And the word of God says that the Lord opened Lydia's heart to be receptive to the message. The Lord opened her heart so that what Paul was saying, she would be paying attention to. And this is what is interesting to me, that I I think for so long I, I forget that it is God who does this work. So many times I put so much emphasis on what I'm doing. Am I saying enough things? Am I reaching out enough? Am I investing in people's lives enough? Am I pushing through? And when it doesn't come out with the result that I expected, I get disappointed and I withdraw because I'm like, I've been pushing through. And in church, let me confess, this has been me past two, three weeks. That I've been feeling like, God, I've been doing so much. I've been reaching out. I've been putting the effort. I've been studying the Bible with people. Why are people not coming into your family? Why am I not getting the result of what I'm looking for? God, why are you not doing something about it? And I forget that it's not me who's doing it. That it is God who moves and changes and transforms hearts. And when the heart is ready, the message will be shared. 
And we've seen this before. We've talked about how the Holy Spirit sets up the agenda, sets up the appointment. So when the appointment is ready, God's going to bring the message. That the question is not, hey, God, is He doing something? He is. It's, am I willing to participate in it? Do I want to partake in it? To be honest, I, I have to confess, I haven't been living this way. For the past few weeks, I've been living as if it all depended on me and how much work I'm putting in. I would read scriptures like when Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest that He sends workers. And I would be like, really? The harvest is plentiful? I don't see that. I don't see people flocking to you, Jesus. I don't see people coming and saying, yes, I want you to be my Lord. I don't see that. So I get so despondent and hopeless and I'm starting to put so much emphasis on me that I'm like, why bring more workers if there's nobody coming? I forget what Jesus said in the book of John when He says, the Spirit is the one who brings life. The flesh is no help at all. My efforts and my pushing through, and my doing all of these things, that doesn't bring life. That, that's, Jesus is the one that brings life. The Spirit is the one that brings life. Thinking about something very specific today. Just how God's going to bring life. And it excites me, and it shows me that even when I'm faithless, God remains faithful. And I know that so many of us have met people like Lydia before. Maybe we don't know it. Maybe we passed on the opportunity. But there's Lydia's out there. Whether I, I acknowledge it or not, whether I'm faithless and I don't see it or not, there are Lydia's out there. And the message needs to be spread. So I asked my beautiful wife to please share a little bit more about Lydia uh, this time. Can you please come up, Mima? What an honor to share with you, Mimo. Um So as many of you may or may not know, I was in Cape Town for six years. And so my time in Cape Town was interesting. Initially, I thought my purpose was to get my degree. And that was my primary purpose. But mm. God was definitely redefining my purpose. Um, Cape Town and the University of Cape Town in particular consisted of an array of different individuals, different backgrounds. And UCT is the podium for free thought and universal tolerance, <laughs> <laughs> which makes for a very interesting um, mission field, thinking about that in retrospect. Mm. Um, I'd, I'd encountered countless of um, people who hungered for God, and little did I know back then the power of God's grace. Um, and the urgency of his mission. Mm. There were several interactions I vividly remember. I had which I, I now wish I could go back to. Um, I wish I had known more, known what I know now. Mm. Uh, I wish I were more equipped, more mm. confident to defend my faith, particularly. Um, uh, but not just with words, eloquently, or mm. lofty knowledge, but honestly just reliance and trust in God and his mm. spirit. Come on. Um, I know for sure that there were many Lydia's who their hearts were very open to God. 
but I lack the courage, the focus, and, and honestly, the knowledge. But thanks be to God, his mission is not hindered merely by my timidity, fear, and cowardice. Um, every day, I have an opportunity to participate um, in his mission, to Come partner on. up with him. Come on. And now I pray for the Lydia's, um, for the very possibility of encountering them here today. Uh, not to pass out the, the opportunities, um, but mostly to fully depend on God and his, and his spirit. Um, yeah, so he called us to do. Please join, join us in mm-hmm. participating with God. Really. Come on. Thank you, Mamma. <laughs> That's not the only time she's going to come and say things, by the way. She's the one preaching today, not me. <laughs> but I, I think it was a very interesting point because I was having this conversation with her a few weeks ago where she was so... Um, my, like Sims came to me and she was like, Dad, I wish I had known that she was reading this book uh, about uh, a Muslim coming into Christianity. And uh, Shimwe has a really good friend of hers who who was a Christian and became a Muslim. And, and she had all these conversations. And, and Shimwe was telling me, I wish I knew that what I know now. So I could have talked to her that, at that time. And, and I heard her conviction and I heard her urgency. And I looked at her and I was like, you need to share that with the church. People need to know about this because it's true. There's Lydia's out there. But the, the cowardness that we have, the fear, the insecurity, the lack of knowledge that we sometimes don't have puts us in this place where we're like, no. Paul and Silas went to a place of prayer. All they were doing is there to pray. And then they found the opportunity. This Gentile woman, not even a Jew. Well, God fears the way the Bible describes her. And they just shared and opened up. I've been begging Uncle Neil to make a three-point sermon about open lives, open hearts, and open mouths. So he's not doing it, so I'm going to beat him to it. (laughs) And here's the point. like Paul and Silas opened their lives to these women. But not only their lives, they opened their mouths. And and when I heard my my beautiful wife sharing this with me and, and how it holds us back, I realized like how many times have we passed on the opportunity because we just don't want to open our mouths. Because we have all these excuses and all of these justifications as to, I, I don't know enough, I, I'm, this might hinder, what, what if this happens, what if, and, and we just pull back. But remember, it's not about us in the beginning. Who, who was the one who opened her heart? Was it your great words or my great speech or this great argument? No. It was the Lord who opened her heart. So pray for those Lydia's. Let's pray for those those men and women in our workplace, in our schools, in our neighborhood, who God may just open their hearts for that one moment when you just say, hey, by the way, I'm part of this family that that I would like you to come and, and visit and, and maybe you'll enjoy it. We, we serve this guy named Jesus. You might heard about him. He's kind of cool. He changed my life. He maybe can change yours. Just opening our lives to people and, and opening our hearts so that, yeah, it might not always result in what we expect, but, but that's part of the heart opening. That we, we might get hurt and not everybody's going to accept it. We're going to see that story in just a second. But we share our lives, we share our hearts, we share the gospel. We open our hearts, our mouths, and our lives so that people will know the beautiful message that we have received. So how are we doing in that? 
Are we still looking back and saying, sure, I wish I would have said this back then. Or are we looking forward and saying, but now, God, bring another Lydia. I'm not going to pass on the appointment this time. Bring the appointment, Holy Spirit. I'll meet it. I'll meet the appointment. How are we doing, church? You know what's interesting is that not only does Lydia get baptized, um, verse, I think it's uh, 15, it says when she was immersed, when she was baptized along with her whole household, not only did Lydia get baptized, her entire household gets baptized. You have ever read the book of Philippians before? This is how the church got planted. Through Paul and Silas going to pray someday and then talking to these women and then they hear the gospel and God's opened their hearts and boom, you have a church in Philippi. You see that God is moving beyond what we expect and oh, this message is for me because I need the faith to believe that. God is doing His thing. And it seems like this, this woman had, had a big house to host them because then she tells them, come, stay with us. Not only is a church planted, all of a sudden Paul and Silas and the mission team have a, have a kind of like a center, like a place where they can operate their mission from. For however many days they're going to stay there, now they have a place to stay. Now they have a family. And as a family, they all together. She got that, they got that, they were living this out. And now there's a church in Philippi. How much can God do if we just open our lives, open our hearts, and open our mouths with the people around us? Can we see churches being planted in Utenig and Dispatch? Can we see brothers and sisters coming from every suburb and every area and every township around the Nelson Mandela Bay? Can we see people coming up and, and raising their hands and saying, let's open our hearts, let's open our homes, let's bring people, let's share our faith. What can God do through all of that? Imagine churches being planted just like the Philippi church was planted. On the other side, we have this other woman who has this spirit of divination and don't ask me what that looks like or what that means. I have no idea. But for some reason, she could tell or foretell the future or something. But the cool or not so cool thing, actually, the interesting thing is that people saw that and took advantage of it. People were making money out of this woman telling the divination things, however that looked like. So this this woman was actually being used for other people's benefit. But for some reason, when I was reading this story growing up, Flip, I've read this story so many times, I never understood why is Paul so frustrated with this girl? Like, what's going on? She's going behind them and she's like, these guys, they serve God, the Most High, and they'll tell you about salvation. And Paul's like, like, crossed about that. I'm like, why? Isn't that like what you're there to do? And people already listen to her because she has a spirit of divination. It really makes no sense to me why you're irritated by that. But then I read the Bible in context and I started learning a couple things and I've learned this recently. I, it's not like I knew this long ago. I've read, learned, learned this recently. That in that province, in that colony in Philippi, there's no synagogue which means there's probably not a lot of Jews, which means 
the God most high that you and I think of may not be the God most high that the people in that city think of. So when she says God most high, and you're part of a culture where you have hundreds of gods and there's one that is over all of them, like the Greek culture where there's all these gods and then there's Zeus. And then somebody tells you, yes, these guys are servants of the God most high and you're part of that culture. You're not assuming the God of the Israelites. That's not the God most high in your worldview. The God most high is Zeus. For for the Roman culture with all these hundreds of gods, the same thing is happening. That their, their immediate world view stops them from listening what's really going on. Imagine walking into a place, walking into a culture, walking into a country where they believe in all these other gods and then they think that you believe in that God. Obviously you're irritated because you're like, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about that God. You, you see what I'm saying? So she says, this guy served the most high God. They're like, okay, they serve our God. And then she says, and they'll tell you about the way of salvation. In, in a culture like Rome, where hierarchy is everything, where power and attaining status is all that you want to do, salvation is not what you and I think of salvation. When you and I think of salvation, we think of forgiveness of sins. We think of God taking us out of the darkness and bringing us into the light. We think about our messed up worldviews that He will rewire us from so that we can live and experience the eternal life. But when they think of salvation, they think, Oh, so I'm not going to be poor anymore? So I can elevate in status? So the God Most High is going to bring me out of this like situation so that I can have power and wealth and control because that's what Roman culture was all about. Like Roman cultures had hierarchies from Caesar to the lowest of slaves and you could do favors to try to get high but there was only so much you could do unless you were born in royalty. So there was this amazing inequality, this horrible like status thing. And think about it, these men who hear her already are trying to make money out of her. So how much more will they be like, oh, she already gives us money. These guys serve our God and they can tell us about this. So let's go to them so we can continue making money and power and wealth. They completely misunderstand what you and I often so easily connect with. Because we're not from that worldview, because we're not in that context, because for us, this is so foreign. But for them, that's probably why they heard. And that's probably why Paul and Silas were like, shh, stop talking. That's not what we're about. And it's so interesting because Paul is so specific. Flip, I love how specific he is. She, he tells her, in the name of Christ Jesus, in the name of Messiah Jesus, in the name of King Jesus, addressing not only the thing that they don't worship Zeus or these other gods, addressing the fact that there's a guy who's really in charge, and that's King Jesus. And when you say King Jesus in a Roman culture, you're immediately defying King Caesar, who they hold as Lord and King and sometimes divinity. In a Roman colony, a very important place for Roman culture, Paul bold to say, in the name of King Jesus, in the name... Uh, sorry, I get frustrated sometimes in my head. Uh, that word in the name of can be translated by the authority of. 
So he's saying, by the authority of the guy who's really in charge, not the gods that you proclaim, by the authority of King Jesus, this demon's out. And boom, it's gone. Sadly, the, the story doesn't play out the way we would hope. We would hope and we would expect for people to be like, whoa, look at this. Jesus must be really in charge. Let's follow this guy. But you see, Satan's always trying to stop the mission of God. So he uses spiritual forces to try to distract and divert people. So Paul and Silas have enough of it and they're like, no. In the name of King Jesus. But then Satan uses other forces like greed and money for people to be like, we lost our way of money. She gave us all this money and now she can't do the divination for us. So they are upset at Paul and Silas because their way of money and power and wealth is gone. And not only that, they now bring the Roman authorities. So Satan uses spiritual forces. Satan uses personal sinful heart issues like greed. Then Satan uses the authorities and governments who stand in opposition towards God. And the Roman soldiers come and drag them out. And the, the people are telling them, look, these guys are talking about things that we as Romans shouldn't live by. These guys are basically putting the Roman culture, the Roman way of thinking, the Roman way of life at threat. We cannot accept that. And they throw them into prison. And it seems, if we stop right there, like, man, Satan is stopping them. Come next week. Because you will see and you will hear how God cannot be stopped. And even in prison and in the darkest of places, the light keeps shining. Uh, not to put pressure in Mr. Manjo, who's going to great give us a great sermon next week. <laughs> uh, but, but let me go back to what we started with. A tale of two women. Two completely different reactions. In one, we have a story of God opening the heart and people coming into His family. In other, we have a story of people rejecting and not wanting to live under this new rule of this new king. And that's the reality that we're probably going to face in our lives every day. We're going to be opening our hearts and opening our lives and opening our mouths and some people are going to be like, yes, tell me more about it. And some people are going to be like, no, this threatens my way of life. This threatens the way that I've understood and lived by, the rules of my life, the ones that I participate in. You're threatening that, so I cannot possibly accept that. And we might get rejected and we might get opposition and maybe... We get thrown into prison, I don't know. Maybe not in our culture, in our context, I don't know. But that that's how, how much Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke and whoever else was there was willing to go. That no matter the opposition, we'll continue sharing. Because as much as there's those who reject and do not want to live by this new king and his new rule, there's those who are eagerly waiting to hear the message of a new king of a new hope, of a new life, in whose hearts God is opening up for you and I to go and share our lives and share our hearts and share the gospel with them. So even though it's scary in one 
point of view. It's incredibly hopeful and exciting in another point of view. And my heart is overwhelmed with joy this morning. Overwhelmed with joy because I'm going to witness a miracle in a little bit. And every single one of us is going to witness it as well. That God doesn't stop working in the hearts of men and women around us, even when I am so faithless. Even when I feel like I've been doing so much and God's not paying attention to me and I'm so prideful that I put all the focus on me. God's still doing His thing. And I praise Him for He opens hearts and changes lives and gives us hope and gives us grace. And His love is so overwhelming as far as east is from the west. He moves us. Just God, thank you so much. I'm overwhelmed with joy for that. (laughs) But you know, I thought if we're going to talk about this two women, we're going to have two different kinds of tales. I thought it would be the most appropriate thing to have my beautiful wife share her tale, to share with us her story about how God opened her heart and Jesus became Lord of her life. So as my wife comes up, I hope and pray that every single one of us is focused on the cross. This is going to lead us into communion. It's a short lesson today. It's a tale of two women. One woman who gets new life from the same cross. Jesus died for both. You and I need to share that. Please, Mama. So, I am the third daughter of Mama G and Papa G. Come on, Mama G. <laughs> I was born in East Africa and grew up in South Africa. From early on, it was evidence to me there's something very compelling about my parents. Um, they were not just because they were hardworking, sacrificial, or humble and long-suffering. Um, they were devoted and knew of this being, this mighty being called God. Um, in such a tangible way that I did not have to hear their proclamation, their lives were just a pure testament of God's love. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I would encourage you to have dinner with them just to hear the intimate <laughs> details of God's hand in their lives. Yeah. Um, this was my first ever encounter of knowing about this God. I was encouraged by my mom to love him, even though up until this day I'm trying to still figure that out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah, but... Come on, Myanmar. Sorry, I'm <laughs> Come on, Myanmar. Yeah, growing up with my sisters, we were best friends. Nancy and I here. And it was through this bond um, that God was beginning to form a foundation of what family truly means. Mm-hmm. Um, so I began to have this a better understanding of what loyalty, devotion, and trust were all about. Mm. Um, so yeah, and God translated this into the spiritual family. So, <laughs> I grappled with faith, faith intellectually for a while when I was in high school, but I soon realized that God cannot be understood by mere cognitive association. Sure. Um, I had to experience him. I had to befriend him. I had to long for him. I had to trust him. I had to worship him. I had to submit to him. Um, and fully fall in love with him. Um, so throughout my entire childhood, I, I, I tried to experience it, but I think this is a lifelong journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so when, when I was a child, I always wanted to be a medical doctor. So there's something about the blood that fascinated me, <laughs> and also the side note that I did care for people. <laughs> so it was, 
it was no brainer uh, to everyone that I wanted to become a medical doctor. But there were a couple of obstacles in the way. One, I was not a South African citizen, nor did I have a permanent residence. Um, and in the tertiary institution for medical program, they normally don't allow South Afri non-South African citizens. Um, and the second thing is we had no, we had absolutely no financial means um, for me to go and, and pursue this venture of mine. So um, apart from not having the documentation, not having um, the funds, somehow I had to enter. And this was fully God's grace. Yeah. Um, and the second thing it was. It's one thing to get into it and then another thing to stay in it. Mm. So I had no textbooks, no laptops, um, but somehow God allowed me to graduate um, amongst the top in my class and not because of anything I did. I can't tell you how that happened up until this day. Mm. Um, it, was, it was all God. Come on. Um, so all I know is that daily I was surrounded by family. Mm. I was surrounded by, by love. I was surrounded by the support from here. <laughs> um, my day one, <laughs> and, and mi amorcito. Mm. So yeah, and I and I, as I explained earlier, I did not yet um, come. I did not yet under, understand God's mission, and even in that, God still, through His grace, um, allowed to uh, allowed me to grow my faith. Mm. So His grace allowed me to partner with Him and to partake in, in His mission up until today. Mm. Which sometimes I do take for granted. Mm. Um, but nothing in this world matters more besides King Jesus. Mm -hmm. Nothing is as good as him and knowing him. Nothing is as fulfilling um, than being allegiant to King Jesus. It was in this and amidst all of this realization that I became convicted um, about making covenant with my king. Come on. Um, through baptism. It was clear to me that he wanted um, to be my Lord and I wanted him to be my Lord. Um, I wanted to walk in step with his spirit. I did not want to any longer enthrone Shimwe or my career in the seat where only he belonged. Come on. Which means things needed to change, um, <laughs> not by mere behavior, uh, and, and not just of my will, but through the transformative heart that only he can, he can do. Come on. Ephesians 1, 7 talks about, um, says he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son Come on. and forgave our sins. Sure. Um, and this is a God that we serve. So God in his grace um, has blessed me with the most amazing partner hmm. um, for his mission, whom I learn daily from. And together we, we want to experience um, the relationship with God, um, express the restoration message of Christ, hmm. and encounter readily the needs of others. So thank you for listening. Let's pray. King Jesus, we love you and we are incredibly in awe of you. For you are the Lord, the King, the Almighty, the All-Powerful, the Enthroned, Alpha and Omega, the One who holds everything, whose time is in your hand, whose power and authority surpasses anything that Suda wants to portray as authority or power. Yet at the same time, you're so much this intimate, loving, personal God that comes into our realities, that meets us in our pain and in our brokenness and in our absolute need for you, even when we don't realize it, even when we're so busy pursuing career or money or success or validation or the glorification of ourselves, the idol of self that we pursue so much, you come into that reality and you show us that true life is only found in you. So we thank you for that this morning. I thank you so much for the beautiful gift of grace 
that you have given us. And I thank you so much, King Jesus, that when you were enthroned as king, you suffered this painful, painful death. And you were buried. Some would say just for no longer to come again. Some hopes were abandoned and some of us would say that's the end of the story. Mm. We'd pursue something else. But you came back. Death could not defeat you. And your resurrection is our hope and your resurrection is the powerful belief and statement that you are king. And your resurrection means everything to us. And without your resurrection, without the death of the cross, without the burial, King Jesus, we would be hopeless without you. So please, as we take up your communion, as we participate in this sacred moment where we eat of the bread and we drink of the juice and we participate with you, May you remind us of the beautiful gift of grace that all of us have experienced and can experience and that it will let us, lead us to live this completely transformed life, this resurrected life with you. We love you so very much. We pray all of this in your holy name.